0: I just meditated, so I should be very calm. I mean, I'm not, but I should be. Still tense, still stressed. I imagine meditation has some subtle effects. That's my guess. You know, it's not like a pill where you just feel the effects immediately. You got a headache, you take an Advil. Actually, you take three or four, maybe five Advil. I don't know how you get down. But the headache goes away. Whereas if you're feeling stress or agitation or anxiety, and then you meditate, sometimes it doesn't work, but then you assume if I make it a part of my practice, which I've done, 10 minutes a day, guided meditation app, 10 minutes a day, then hopefully I'm just a calmer, more centered, more focused, perhaps even happier person, right? I do buy into it, which is weird because most days I don't feel the immediate effects, but I totally buy into it. As a practice. The only issue is I don't pay attention during the guided meditations. You know, from the time the woman's voice starts to say, focus on your breathing. I'm daydreaming. Focus on your breathing. I'm thinking about something else. She starts with the body scan. Check in with yourself. I'm checking in with somebody else. Something's on my mind. And then for some reason, it's like time travel. Seven, eight minutes go by, and then I reconnect with her voice. Now, she might have been talking throughout the entire 10 minutes. I have no memories, usually no recollection of anything she said until the end. And I go, where the fuck is my mind? Why can't I get my mind on a breath? Why is that such a challenge? Yet, one thing she does say when I listen is not to condemn yourself. Don't be so hard on yourself. And that message I like, be kind to yourself. How many of us are actually kind to ourselves? I really, not a lot of us. Most of us aren't. We're hot on ourselves. Did I pronounce the R in that? We're hot on ourselves. We're hard on ourselves. We are. At the end of a day, when our head hits the pillow, sometimes our mind goes to what could have been improved. Where's the area of struggle? Where's the pain? What's the issue? As if that's the time to address it when you're trying to go to bed. But really, we got to share successes. We do. We have to share successes we got to realize we are so imperfect. We're so flawed. That's what unites us. Hi, I'm flawed. I'm going to share some of my flaws on a podcast. And if they're relatable, I bet you'll keep coming back to listen. By the way, this podcast, definitely an area of my life that I nitpick, put pressure on myself. It's totally unnecessary. Totally. Supposed to be a fun little hobby, right? The last episode I did, I wrote three bullet points as I usually do. Every week, I write down three thoughts. And then I try to just go, try to just flow extemporaneous stream of consciousness, just whatever words come to the surface, impulsively say them, say them. So three bullet points of direction actually caused me to be a little more directionless, aimless at times. And I got on my own case because I completely forgot the points I wanted to make. This is episode 68. If you listen to it, it might've sounded normal to you, but at the very end, I thought to myself, God, fuck, God damn it, you son of a bitch. And I really, really had a personal tirade because I said, you forgot to say everything you meant to say. Sounded good in your head. And then you started recording and who knows what I said. But I didn't get to it. I didn't get to it. And in that moment, I could have been kinder to myself. I could have said, don't worry, you'll go get him in episode 69. They're all going to be on the edge of their seats, waiting to hear what you missed in episode 68. But really, nobody cares. The level of self-importance we place on certain endeavors and just moments in our lives, nobody cares. Nobody cares. It eats away at us. It could haunt us, the little mistakes we make. Nobody cares. You, know, you try to empower the young people that way. Speak up. Don't be shy. Challenge authority. It's fine. Stand up for yourself. Sorry, I guess that advice goes off on a little tangent. But I could blame it on two things. Why do I forget the points I want to make? Number one, tired. Yet yeah, nobody wants to hear anybody complain about being tired. Because aren't we all? Aren't we all? You're listening to this right now. Aren't you kind of tired? I'm tired. You ask your students, your students, I guess my students, unless you're a teacher listening. But I ask my students, how are you? 50% of the time it's good. And 50% of the time it's tired. Well, guess what? Your teachers are fucking tired too. But we don't tell you. We drink coffee. And we bring enthusiasm and energy into that classroom. And we wake you up. We wake you up before you go-go. Wake me up. Is that a good song or a bad song? Ask yourself that question as I sip some coffee. Ah. Pete's. In case you're wondering, my wife did the grocery shopping this week. And she comes home with Pete's. I do the grocery shopping. I get the low shelf. Not quite Folgers or U-Ban, but I'll go for that Don Francisco every time. 5.99 maybe 4.99 for the big jar or tin or jug. What is the word I need right now? Coffee comes in a big cylinder. All right, moving on. So yeah, the key details that I forgot on my last podcast, it's not just, oh, I'm tired, I forgot, that's part of it, but also, just three bullet points on a piece of paper, it's a little old school. And this is how I did radio as well, and this is how I knew I was going to become a fossil at a young age, meaning I was an old soul. The radio world started to advance while I was in it, meaning it's not just a guy turns on the microphone and takes callers, but it's going to be interactive with tweets, social media, breaking news and laptops, and Chromebooks, and smartphones, and smartwatches, and Google Glass, and all the things that people have to embrace the immediacy of information. Well, me, I would bring a yellow tab in, a yellow pad of paper, and write down a few thoughts about the Padres, the Chargers, the Aztecs, that's it. Game time, who's pitching, how many games back in the NOS standings, who the Chargers are playing on Sunday, key injuries, that's it. Just write down a few bullet points, and then let's have a natural conversation. That's the type of sports radio I liked doing. But nowadays, you see, most hosts will come in with a laptop and they'll be dialed in to Twitter and they'll be dialed in to their notes. And it could almost be verbatim prep, like whatever you prepped to say that is verbatim what you're going to say. Whereas I think the best times are when you totally get away from notes. Like even the fact that I write down three bullet points, I want to get away from those. I want it to be even more of a natural stream of consciousness, whatever's coming to the surface of my thoughts. But I can't do that, because then at the end, I'll get pissed off at myself for forgetting everything I wanted to say. So what did I want to say? All right, I was talking about how comedians are now censoring themselves even more on their podcasts. And this is a medium, podcasting, that's fairly new. So at first, it was raw. It felt totally uncensored, unfiltered. And now I hear comics, you know, kind of saying, we should remove that, worried about corporate sponsors. But what I forgot to bring up, was the big story from last week or the week before. Now it's stale. See, now it's stale. If I bring up Shane Gillis, he's the comedian who was fired from Saturday Night Live. Hired, then fired. Never even performed on the show. He was one of the off-season acquisitions. So Leslie Jones is gone. That's a big deal. She was a force. She leaves SNL, so they make some hires. A girl named Chloe, an Asian-American cast member. That's interesting. And that coincides with the hiring of Shane Gillis. And then they find out that he uses racial slurs on his podcast and they said we can't have that so he was fired most of the responses i heard was you can't fire him seriously i heard a lot of people say this is the culture we live in the age of outrage where people get so upset and they look to get upset like people wanted to tar and feather shane gillis burn him alive walk the plank on his podcast he starts to make slurs about Chinatown and Chinese people. First of all, it wasn't funny. I got to say that. So that's part of the crime being totally unfunny. But I don't listen to his podcast. Could have been just a small little excerpt out of context. I did hear the part that got him fired. I actually listened to that, but I don't know anything about him. And now these comments define him. I don't believe anybody should be defined by a mistake. If, in fact, this was a mistake, I don't know the guy. Maybe he's a total racist who actually hates Asian people. Maybe. Hope not. But my reaction when I heard he got fired was good. Good because Saturday Night Live, I want to like the cast members. For some reason, I know the show's not intended to be wholesome, family-friendly entertainment. I know that's not, like, the goal. But I do like the fact that some of these cast members are in your living room every week and you got to like them. I don't want this guy who are worried is such a racist or makes unfunny racial slurs on his podcast. I was fine with it. This is NBC we're talking about. This isn't Hulu or Netflix or Amazon Prime. This is NBC, ding, ding, ding. Obviously, their corporate sponsors are going to pressure Lauren to get rid of the guy. That wasn't surprising, but everyone's so surprised. (gasps) How do they fire a comedian? Don't they want to push the envelope? Isn't that what SNL likes to do? Push the envelope? Become the story? I guess. But this was the right move. Get rid of him. Move on. I don't say that every time a comedian gets in trouble. For making comments. Tracy Morgan has been in trouble for making comments. Kevin Hart has been in trouble for making comments. Trevor Noah has been in trouble for making comments. And these are comedians that we rely on to say things that maybe we haven't thought of or to say things that are so shocking that they make us laugh. But with this guy, eh, you're not established. You're not famous yet. Maybe he would have been the greatest cast member ever. Maybe he would have been very funny. But the fact that we'll never know is fine. There's more comedians out there who are not making epithets towards Asian-Americans. There's more comedians we can find. I've heard a ton of racist jokes in my life. And not to be holier than thou, but usually they're not that funny. Seriously, they're not that funny. I like jokes. I like talking about race. I'm not even offended by most stereotypes. There's some truth to a lot of stereotypes. But when you discuss race, I mean, you gotta be at the top of your game you got to be insightful. you got to be intellectual to have this discussion. Not just crass, willy-nilly, and lowbrow. If it's lowbrow, then it actually sounds racist. But, you know, when someone like Chris Rock discusses race, I, like, nod. I nod my head. Or Dennis Miller. You know, there's a lot of these comics who are almost philosophers. Not laugh-out-loud comics, but I truly think a lot of these comedians nowadays in 500 years, we're going to remember these names as if it's like Socrates or Plato or Aristotle. I honestly think so. Because they're making such great points about social issues you know social commentary today who's doing it the best journalists I don't know comedians hell yes hell yes watch the most recent Colin Quinn special on Netflix the things he says about America are so brilliant and I'm not laughing the whole time some of it's funny some of it's just okay but he's just one of those comedians where you go you're a philosopher you have theories that I connect with it's a beautiful thing George Carlin I didn't find him to be laugh out loud. You go back and watch George Carlin. You're not like rolling on the ground, or at least I'm not. But you go, yeah, this guy's smart. Philosophers. I guess the only reason to be mad at SNL is because they didn't do their homework, right? Hired a guy. Felt like his dream came true. And then said, we listened to your podcast. You made jokes about Chinese people. You're now fired. He probably thought, yeah, but that's what I do. Did you not do any research on me? People hate comedy police. People hate the comedy police. But SNL has already established what it is. This guy can still have a career. It's not like they fired him from Earth. They just fired him from the show. So what's the result? A lot of comedians are now going to try to censor themselves even more. Guarantee. Any comic that has the dream of being on Saturday Night Live or being hired by a big old-fashioned production company or getting a nice special on Netflix, I feel like they're going to try to retract some of their shit. I feel like a lot of these guys and girls are going to go the other way, as opposed to popular belief. You know, popular belief is always trying to say something clever about the latest entertainment news. I read a lot of articles about this story. Shane Gillis fired from Saturday Night Live. Everybody has a clever angle. Mine was simple. Good, fine. I'm okay with that. Maybe the bigger issue is that Saturday Night Live, hey, look in the mirror. You might be racist also. This was the first Asian-American cast member you ever hired this offseason? Remember a couple of years ago, they were under fire for not having any African-American women? Yeah, look in the mirror. You're too white. I love the show. It's been a successful show. They've launched a ton of careers, but it's way too white. Lauren's been doing it this way since the 70s. There's always like one to two black cast members. And then somebody that's like 25% Hispanic and plays all of the Hispanic characters. And then a lot of makeup to make all the white cast members look like they could play every nationality. So yeah, SNL calling out a hire as potentially racist for what he says on a podcast. Now, a lot of people will point the finger back at SNL and say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're racist. But enough of this bullshit where everybody just claims racist, racist, racist. The racist alarms go off so often. I mean, how many people that actually tell a racist joke are racists? Not the majority. Think about the last time you heard a racist joke, maybe from a comedian, maybe from a friend. Is that person a true racist? Isn't that word so charged? There are some words where you just say them and you have people's attention, like the N word. You don't say it. Even if you're quoting somebody else saying it, you don't say it. You call it the N word. Even this guy, Shane Gillis, the word he used on his podcast to describe Chinese people. I'm not using it on this podcast, as I paraphrase the C word, because if I said it, even I would have a visceral reaction, like, oh, I shouldn't say that word. I shouldn't say that word into a microphone where I'm about to release this podcast to all 12 of you. All 12 of you super fans that can't get enough of this bullshit. And the other thing I forgot to mention in episode 68, now that we've arrived in the promised land of episode 69, Don't make jokes, grow up. Don't make jokes, grow up. The other thing I forgot to mention is that Andre Iguodala book, I actually finished it, was not only so boring, but it represents an opportunistic avenue that a lot of celebrities are taking. And that is trying to be authors, trying to write a book, but just hiring a ghostwriter and telling your story while you're a blip in the world of fame. So when your star is bright... Like Andre Iguodala, as a Golden State Warrior, as a champ, people now know the name more than ever. So he figured, all right, why not capitalize on this? Maybe I can make some cash. But did his story need to be told? Was it an exceptional memoir? No, he actually goes into like game logs, just starts talking about certain games. And then I passed it to Clay, and Clay passed it to Steph. And then Steph put it up, and man, is he a good shooter. This book had about five pages that were worth reading. Now, 12-year-old me would have been so excited if a Golden State Warrior wrote a memoir, but 38-year-old me was almost stunned with how boring it was. I wonder if that makes sense to anybody, that the book was so boring that I couldn't stop reading it because I thought he was going to get to something. But really, he doesn't. He doesn't even drop names. You know, the classic tell-all book where you give a few stories of what it's like behind the scenes, pull back the curtain a little bit. There's none of that. There's none of that. It's just him probably for three days recording his stories to a ghostwriter who's going to mold it into something that could be on shelves at Barnes & Noble and charge people 28 bucks for the hardcover. You know, a sports memoir used to be like a legendary athlete finally tells his story after his career. Not a sixth man who came off the bench and just signed with the Grizzlies is ready to tell you a few stories about what it was like to go court Kevin Durant in the Hamptons. I feel like we're witnessing the transition of the memoir world used to be like a real special tale to read about an athlete and what happens in the clubhouse, what happens in the dugout, what happens in the locker room. Now, go to a bookstore and just look at how many athletes have written books. Gronk. Gronkowski has got a book. Ronda Rousey. Anybody who feels like, oh, I'm famous, I'm famous, I'll do all the interviews, I'll get a lot of Instagram followers, I'll write a book. No, you won't. Why don't you keep the literary world a little more sacred, huh? It's going to dirty up the water. Now people won't know which books are the ones to read in the old sports section. All right, enough of that. Nonsense. What's the opposite of nonsense? Sense? All right, here's some sense that got knocked into me. There's a new Netflix docu-series about Bill Gates. Have you seen it? Have you at least seen episode one? Or is it one of those that you just scroll by and say, I'll get to that. I'll get to that. Like, I got to be in the right mood. Well, I was finally in the right mood, so I watched episode one, and holy shit, you talk about a moment where you get a little too much perspective, where you start to think about your own little complaints, and you go, oh my god, I'm such a piece of shit. Why? Why do I let the littlest things bug me when there are people that don't have clean drinking water? There are people that don't have modern medicine. There are people on this planet. I share a planet with people who can die by simply having diarrhea. It was amazing. And the feeling I had after the episode, let me get to that before I discuss the episode. The feeling I had after the episode was true enlightenment. The realization that I'm way too lucky, way too blessed. So I'm thankful. I am for the little things. I flush the toilet and have no worries. I just flush the toilet. We got enough pipes, a sewage system that is so well organized and so sophisticated that we don't worry about contaminating our water. All the human waste just goes beneath the house and gets washed away. I take that for granted 100% of the time. It's like when I drink water out of a fountain or a sink. I take that for granted 100% of the time. When I flip the switch to turn on lights in a room, I take it for granted 100% of the time. Well, this documentary focusing on Bill Gates showed a lot of people throughout Africa And India, who don't have that luxury because when they flush, actually, I can't even use the word flush, but when they empty out one of the holes in the ground that people defecate into and they empty it into their canals, that just streams right into the water they swim in and they drink from. Well, you're talking about millions of people that have been killed throughout history. So the story is there was a journalist for the New York Times, great writer, great reporter, Nicholas Kristof. And he does embedded journalism. You know, he goes and lives it. He goes and reports on a lot of tragic situations around the world. And Bill and his wife Melinda Gates were reading the New York Times and they came across an article about how little babies are dying of diarrhea because of water contamination and how human waste just gets into their water supply. And Bill, you know, good old Bill worth about $60 billion dollars, He had the wake-up call. He had the epiphany that, hey, I can do something about this. I can have a contest to see which scientists, which inventors in this country, the smartest, can invent a toilet that doesn't require such an elaborate system that could almost just create clean water. I can't even describe the science behind it. What am I trying to do? The technology behind it is so beyond me. But there are people in this country that went to work You know, Bill Gates funded this project. Some of the top scientists and inventors and innovative minds, they start working on creating toilets for these developing countries. And in the end they did. Okay. So the episode ends and I'm thinking, okay, now let's get the toilets into every little rugged village that doesn't have proper plumbing or sewage systems. Let's go. Let's just get the toilets out. I didn't even Google what happened. I hope they're saving lives. I believe they're saving lives. But the power of journalism as well, that's what this writer said, this reporter said, you know, a lot of the times journalists are just drawn to the explosion, the big news, the press conference, but we also have to report on things that are just consistently terrible. You know, the things that are just constantly awful in certain places of the world. Journalists have to go cover those stories as well, not just the scintillating news story. And I thought he put it really well that when Bill Gates read this story, he realized, okay, I could sit on my money, but he's been a philanthropist. And holy shit, I have a newfound appreciation for Bill Gates and his wife, Melinda, both of them. Contaminated water from human waste is killing so many people. And here I am complaining that my wife's chili tasted plasticky. That actually happened at dinner. I should have just shut up. I usually make chili in the house. It's kind of my thing. I make a nice chili. But I wanted to hang out with our daughter. So she said, how about I cook tonight? And she cooked with all the ingredients that I usually cook with. But when she served it, it tasted plasticky. I don't know how to describe it. Just like you were using a new spatula or a new pan and didn't wash it or something. And I should have just shut up. I should have just shut up and said, it's good. It's good. It's good. But I I said, it's good. It's excellent. But it, it, it has this plasticky taste. And of course, that becomes an issue, as we all realize. I should just be quiet, nod my head, and eat the food, because I'm lucky to even have food and have a wife that cooks food. And even if it tastes plasticky, it doesn't matter. It won't kill me. But instead, I open up my mouth, and that becomes an issue in my world. How small. I mean, how small. So as the credits are rolling, I said, Please let the residue from this episode stay with me. Please. And deep down, I know it won't. Isn't that sad when you know something really special washes over you and you like the feeling because it opens your eyes, gives you a new viewpoint of the world. And then you go, shit, it's going to slip. It's going to slip. I'm going to complain about something that doesn't matter so soon. And I don't want to. Why are we wired that way? I want to always realize how fortunate I am just by being where I am in the world in this current year. I'm Way too lucky. There's a little guilt that comes over you too. You know what I mean? A little guilt. You could be happy when you feel lucky, you feel happy. And then I wonder if anybody else feels that just a little tinge of guilt where we start to pity the people in these developing countries. And I know that's dangerous as well, because when you pity them, you go, man, you should really be living like me. And then when you project your life onto others, well, that's how you tiptoe back into this world of racism, believing that your ways, perhaps your culture, your ethnicity is just simply better. Now, I don't feel that way. But if you really study the history of racism, most people get that word wrong every time they say it. Racism doesn't mean you hate another race. It's worse than that. It means you believe you're better. So I don't want to say I'm better than anybody, but luckier? Yeah, certainly. Certainly. So that'll be my new mantra, Bill Gates. I'll just say that in my head. Whenever I'm complaining about little things, sweating the small stuff, I'll just say Bill Gates, toilets, diarrhea, sewage. And I'll get it. I'll get it. It'll be a weird mantra. I might say it out loud sometimes. I might just think it. But it'll get me back on track to appreciating every moment. Can we do that? Can we appreciate every moment? Of course not, but I'll try. I know I've said this before, but whenever we get consumed with something so heavy and so deep and so important, it's not long before we just need to go back to something dumb and mundane and simple. And for some people, it's, you know, I got to play a video game. Or I got to just watch a show. Or listen to some music, you know, detached, just to try to get back to some sense of normalcy, a little bounce back. For me, I've always loved sports. Clearly, sports fan, big fan, love it. But what I'm noticing now is I'd say 85% of the time I could still get into a game. But sometimes I now could just see the simplicity of it and it looks weird. Like, let's be honest, basketball is just putting a ball through a hoop, right? Right. And then because a guy like LeBron James does it better than 99.99% of all humans to ever do it, he's a celebrity. People worship him. They wear his jersey. They'll build a statue of him. They'll pay him millions of dollars. You know, he'll have the type of status that kings have. Why? Because he puts a ball in a hoop. And we, the fans, the general public, love it. that funny how entertained we are by these little acts? Football, I get so excited for a football game. College football Saturday, NFL Sunday, I get so excited. 85 90% of the time I could just enjoy the game, get into it. But now there's this weird part of my brain, like 10%, that understands what I'm watching. Okay, here's a guy who's going to carry a ball and try to advance it through these defensive players who don't want him to carry the ball into their territory on the field. They want to keep him out of the end zone. Just simplify some of the sports you love. Simplify it skiing okay he's gonna put these long things on his feet yep click them onto his boots skiing and then he's gonna go down a hill very fast and if he does it very fast and breaks records he's an olympic celebrity okay he puts long plastic things on his feet and he goes down a hill of snow any sport give me any sport we'll simplify it and go wait why are these people such celebs because they do it so well right we appreciate people that do most things at the highest of levels. But then when you whittle it down, you go, what the fuck are we so entertained with this stuff for? I actually don't like being in that headspace. I just like being a goofball who goes, come on, let's go air it out. Bust through the D pay dirt pick six. I like making sports sounds on my couch. Oh, look at my wife. Did you see that? Caught it with one hand. Going out of bounds. Oh, oh, yelling at refs. See, that's fun. But when I get too analytical, that's not fun, that's stupid. That's when I have to change the channel or actually just turn the TV off. How about let's let's just turn this podcast off now, huh? Let's do it. This is episode 69. I have done 69 of these and I'm using every last ounce of my self-restraint not to make jokes about that number. A lot of people, Look at that number. 69. Makes him smile. Makes him laugh. Makes him think about something sexual. Not me. Not right now. No, sir. Too mature. Bill Gates. Diarrhea. Sewage. See that? New perspective. What matters. I'm back to what matters. You matter. We all matter. Do you believe that? Do you believe you matter? It's another stupid thought I had. But can you ever convince yourself that you're so valuable even though you're just one human out of millions and millions and millions do you ever place such value on yourself that you almost feel invincible it's the opposite of anxiety it's like the type of confidence where you go i can live till i'm 96 and be healthy look i've already made it this far if you count your blessings then you start to get a little confident you know what i mean you know what i mean it's a good way to live so keep living that way all right episode 69 no jokes it's in the books i'll talk to you soon